Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. In this episode, we talk to Doug Brown, CFL legend, Indian Football Hall of Famer, and our color analyst on Blue Bomber Broadcasts, talking about the Labor Day Classic, his time playing in it, his thoughts on this week's game. Plus, we'll get an update from Kelly Moore on the final round of the Canadian Women's Mid-Amateur and Senior Golf Championship at Breezy Bend. It's coming up on the podcast. Labor Day Classic with Doug Brown, who played in a number of Labor Day Classics over the years. Doug, do you miss playing in the Labor Day Classic? Oh, definitely, without question. It was one of the most fun atmospheres, environments you can play in as a football player. Uh, the carnival of hatred, we call it. There's so much uh, energy and and raw emotion, and you know, no team is. Uh, you know, very few teams. Uh, I'd say Winnipeg probably uh, definitely has louder and more loyal supporters, but Saskatchewan is right up there in terms of uh, how they revere their football team, and they certainly let you know it the minute you step on the field. So it's uh, it's it's fun to be on the opposite side of that, and, and your whole goal is to try and silence that crowd. Now, even in the seasons when you weren't as good, how – important was that labor day classic was it basically the gray cup game if you knew you weren't going to get to the gray cup that year yeah i mean uh you would literally have fans in winnipeg come up to you and be like hey this isn't things aren't going well this season it doesn't look like we're going to be you know contending or or maybe not even in the playoffs you're like if you can do one thing for your fan base and, and you come to know this is true as a, as a football player in winnipeg if uh things aren't going well and you can do one thing for your fan base it's it's beat Saskatchewan in the in the Labor Day Classic and uh, it feels very close to like a playoff victory uh, in my estimation because uh, you go from that contrast of you can't even hear yourself think to all of a sudden you can't hear anybody you know as the clock winds down the fourth you win that game it's uh, a very satisfying feeling that you you know you did your job right uh, the minute it gets quiet at uh, at Mosaic Stadium. Now, in the commentator's chair, you have a chance to to see it from a different perspective. And the added juice of the last couple postseasons where the Blue Bombers beat the Riders in the West Final en route to winning the Grey Cup. How much do you think that adds to this year's Labor Day battle? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I think there's two sides to it, right? The, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, a lot of these players know that uh, they've won a lot of games at that brand-new stadium that Saskatchewan has. Uh, I would wonder if some of the guys in the locker room even refer to it as their home away from home because they've done so well uh, since Saskatchewan's moved into that stadium. And then conversely, uh, there is probably nothing that sickens the Rough Riders more than having, uh, if any team, is coming in there and beating them, and it happens to be Winnipeg. I mean, there's nothing worse for Saskatchewan Rough Riders to have Winnipeg dominant in their house in both uh, the regular season and in playoff opportunities. Now, looking at uh, the matchup on Sunday, Derek Taylor has done his charts and has found that the, the Riders are very good at pressuring the quarterback. Anthony Lanier is hurt, though, so that hurts their chances. Outside of the Montreal games... Do you, how do you grade Winnipeg's protection of Zach Kolaris this year? 
Well, I think it's going to get a lot better. Um, I believe uh, Couture is close to returning. He may be playing this game. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be a sixth man or he's going to start, but it, it sounds like Couture will be back and involved. I think they've had their struggles uh, with protection. I, I'm not saying they're, they're certainly not a bad offensive line. They're 10-1, and one, right? Uh, if you're scoring points at the rate they've been able to, uh, they're doing something right. But they just set a standard so high in 2019 and 2021 that any seepage, any penetration, any you know multiple sack games or a lack of a 100-yard rusher, we've been spoiled for so long to have these expectations from the offensive line. They've had some injury concerns. They've lost some players. And uh, they're not quite the same unit they used to be. So it's, uh, it's good to have that in front of them, knowing that they're not playing their best football. But yet you have to wonder, maybe some of the guys are, you know, at that point at the top of their careers in their primes and uh, whether uh, they've been brought down a, a notch or two. But like you say, it's real hard to be critical of any football team that's, that's 10-1, and one, regardless of if the offensive line performance hasn't been as dominant uh, as before. It's easy to say they're still playing very strong, just not dominant. When a team is 10-1 and one and the two-time defending Grey Cup champs, you really have to work hard to nitpick, don't you, when you're looking at things to get better at? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all we can do is, is, is just contrast to what we've seen, right? So we've seen the two other championship year, years, and they, uh, there was a standard of how they played. You know, They're always winning the turnover battle. Uh, they were always uh, very run-heavy. High percentage of their plays were run. They were very balanced. They had a lot of yards on the ground. They threw a lot of high-percentage passes. And it's been different this year because, obviously, Paul Apolis is gone. Buck Pierce is there. Uh, Zach Claris has had more than a full season under his belt now. And Andrew Harris is gone. So the offensive uh, uh, identity has certainly changed this year. And even defensively, right, some of the the benchmarks or milestones we're used to seeing in previous years, that is kind of changing now as well. Not necessarily, you know, changing in a worse way, just changing different. Obviously, the results are where everyone wants them to be when you're uh, this dominant in first place in the Western Division. So the Bombers can clinch a playoff spot on Sunday with a victory. It's week 13. Can you remember a team clinching a playoff spot that early? Absolutely not. Yeah, not a not a chance. It's uh, I, I'm sure you know. I'm sure Michael Shea doesn't want them focusing on that, talking about it. That would just be the the side effect of winning, going one and zero this week, right? Would be uh, uh, securing a playoff berth. But it, it just goes to show you. I mean, you know, if they lost every single one of their remaining games, they, they'd still finish first. Well, they'd still be a first place team in the East. They would still have a secured. Uh, a crossover berth and uh, you know they they probably if they lost all the remaining games in the west they'd probably still end up at least second so it's uh, it's pretty unreal how spectacular this team is or, or just how well and how often and how they find ways to win they've got an incredible culture and environment and atmosphere going there and they just figure it out they've they've got more experience finding ways to win than all of their opponents Brandon Alexander did a bit of practicing yesterday with a knee brace on. When it comes to ACL injuries, usually it's the season after the season that it happens that they look more like themselves. I don't know what version of Brandon Alexander we're going to get down the stretch here if he does come back. 
But we saw in the Calgary game last week when Demario Houston went down and then Patrice Rene got hurt. That secondary, Jake Mayer had a pretty easy time going through them until the fourth quarter when the, the Bomber defense rose up and shut the stamps down. Are you worried at all about the secondary going into Sunday? You know, not really. I, I don't think Saskatchewan has uh, the same caliber of quarterback or receivers as uh, as Calgary. Uh, I think, granted, Cody Fajardo is a much larger body of work to evaluate than we do with Jake Mayer, but I think without question, uh, Calgary has a better receiving core than uh, than Saskatchewan. Same with uh, a better offensive line as well. So I'm uh, I don't know. You don't get concerned about this football team because they just figure it out, right? If they are vulnerable in a certain position one week, it seems like a different phase of the football team will step up and get it done. So. Uh, you never get too worried when they're down with injuries because not only is their next man up mentality pretty much uh, uh, unfallible, but uh, they just find different ways to win and, and be dominant on other with other phases of the football team. It's been really impressive seeing them get off to this 10-1 and start. There have been the games where they were close, but they, they do seem to find ways around some obstacles, and, and they've been doing that with a lot more injuries this year than we saw last year Greg McRae has been in and out we talked about him earlier in the show where he has that nice performance in BC and then we don't really see him again until last week against the Stamps where he he just fits perfectly into what Buck Pierce is trying to do do you expect to see more of that with uh, Ellingson still out for the Bombers where does McRae fit into the plans as far as you're concerned you know I really thought uh, McRae had a breakout game against Calgary uh, up to that point, I wasn't quite sure, you know, what he was bringing to the table. I didn't really see his, uh, his ability on display in in the previous games he played. So it wasn't until I saw him really get untracked against Calgary, uh, you know, running the ball, catching the ball, uh, you know, being a scat back, right. Uh, uh, Very, uh, very quick, very elusive, type running back that you can use in in, in multiple uh, different ways. Uh, I really think he had a breakout game against Calgary, so I expect him to build on that performance, and and he really impressed me with what he was able to do. His first couple starts in the CFL, I wasn't really sure, you know, what he was doing. I'm not sure he knew what he was doing either. I I think it took him a little while to adjust to the game, but I I think he's got it figured out a little bit now, and and, or they're putting him in positions where he can really uh, demonstrate his skill set very well. So, prediction for Sunday. The Riders hosting the Blue Bombs. It's going to be hot in Regina. You're going to head out there. You're driving, right? That's the thing. You, you drive to that game. That's the one via yeah. road, the road trip you take during the year. Yeah, yeah. I drive out. I'll be leaving uh, Saturday to go out, get out there. And what are you expecting on Sunday? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's a real hard game to win. It's certainly... Uh, you know, the riders understand that they're kind of just above a 500 football team, obviously, right now. Uh, they got a lot to prove. And uh, nothing would prove to their found fan base uh, more than if they could beat the 10-1 and Winnipeg Blue Bombers at home, right? 
this could really turn the season around for Saskatchewan. I think when it, I think the Blue Bombers recognize that that they're everybody's biggest game right now, and that uh, you know if a team defeats them, like you look at how Montreal celebrated when they beat. Uh, Winnipeg in a regular season game. It looked like they just won their third Grey Cup in a row. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I've never seen players run onto the field like that after a regular season win. So that's what happens now when you beat this juggernaut. It can change your year. It changes confidence as it changes the, lo- the locker room. So it's a very tough game for Winnipeg, but I think they're they're far and away a better football team. And But that's what it takes to win at this time of the year because of that crowd and because of that energy and because of that pride, you have to be far and away a better team to have an opportunity to win this game. And I, I think they do have a good chance to win it. It does seem to me that it matters more to Saskatchewan, oh, yeah. but I don't necessarily know if that makes a difference. Yeah, no, it's, it's certainly a pride thing out there. You know, they're very proud of their football team, and uh, it's it's personal when it comes to your neighboring province and your prairie rival. It just uh, it's worth this this Labor Day Classic. We always said, you know, it should be a three point game or a four point game because uh, it can change the trajectory of your football team in a heartbeat. Can't let you go without asking you about. Uh being inducted into the BC Football Hall of Fame. How does that feel? <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it was certainly unexpected when I when I got that phone call. It's it's pretty weird when you haven't played pro football in, you know, over a decade and, and you still um, are honored with with a recognition like that. There's some uh, some really revered players in that Hall of Fame, so I was very uh, very humbled and, and honored to be uh, to be chosen to join that group. So I thought everybody had forgotten that I actually started my football career in BC. It had been so long. I'd never played pro football there uh, for a single snap other than as a visitor. So it was uh, it was interesting, very surprising, but uh, uh, very uh, honored and uh, humbled by, by that nomination. Well, congrats on that, Doug. Appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this, and uh, have a safe drive to Regina. Enjoy the call and the game on Sunday. All right, my friend. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it should be a great game. I look forward to talking with you about it when we get back. That is Doug Brown. Canadian football and now BC football Hall of Famer. A history-making day of sorts at Breezy Bend Country Club earlier today as Shelley Stouffer of Nanus Bay, British Columbia, became just the second Canadian to win a U.S. Senior Women's Amateur and Canadian Mid-Amateur Senior title in the same year, joining Hall of Famer Marlene Strait in that exclusive company. Oh, well, it's amazing. It's so great. Uh, she's actually, uh, she sent me messages when I was up in Anchorage and, and like being encouraging and everything like that. And, you know, it's just phenomenal. It's awesome. Stouffer shot a final round, even par 72 this afternoon, finishing the 54-hole tournament at three over, 219 the final score, holding off Terrell Samuel of Etobicoke and fellow Vancouver Islander Christina Spence-Proto by one and two shots respectively in a terrific three-way duel for top honors. Kelly Moore was there following all the action, and just moments after sinking her tournament-clinching par putt on 18, Stouffer spoke with Kelly Moore. With uh, not only the senior champion, but also the mid-amateur champion of Canadian women's golf, Shelly Stouffer has kind of a nice ring to it, I guess, eh? Yeah, that's the first time I won the mid-am, so uh, pretty excited about that. The last year I won just the mid-master and the, and the senior, so yeah, it was exciting. 
And talk about capping off what has been an incredible summer for you. We talked earlier in the week about Anchorage and uh, and then Kettering. Uh, uh, where does this rank with a 29th place tie on the U.S. Senior Women's Open and winning the U.S. Senior Women's Amateur? Oh, it's right up there. It's uh, I would say it's uh, just... Well, it's my second in a row, so that's pretty cool. So that was that's awesome. Uh, my first mid Um it ranks right up there with uh, with all of them. Yeah. Was there any particular turning point in in today's round? I mean, even par seventy two, which tied for the best score of the tournament, and you picked a wonderful time to do that. Uh, but was there any particular hole, or did you remember any particular turning point in the round? Uh, oh yeah, there was. I think it, the par five is at fifteen on the back. I made a birdie and, and Terrell and I were like basically the same distance apart and I made mine and she didn't so that I think put me even with her and then on the next hole the par three I hit a really great shot in there and then she missed her up and down so um just right then and there and then and then we both kind of and then she three putted 17 and I missed the green I missed the fairway and then hit it over the back and had a bogey as well but uh I was happy not to lose one there Right on. Yeah. With what you had accomplished previously, but more importantly this year, did that play any role at all in you playing as well as you did today? Uh, I'm just kind of going with the flow here. It's just been a one of one heck of a ride. Um, wow, there's some wind. It's breezy bend. <laughs> <laughs> um, it. Uh, I was hitting the ball really well down in uh, well everywhere, but. The last place I was was uh, Dayton at the U.S. Open, so I just kind of I just kind of kept that going, and my ball striking was actually really really good this week. So uh, I can't I can't even I can't even express how awesome it is. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the duel with Terrell, because you're not only playing for a mid-am title, but you're also playing for a seniors title. Does that add anything to the intrigue when you're going? Womano, a womano. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to, you know, play my own game, and I was trying to check in the scores, trying to see what's going on. Um, but the, the first and foremost was winning the senior. So if I didn't win the mid, it was no big deal. But I kind of think I was like right in there, tied in the lead, whatever. It was back and forth. It was a constant battle. So uh, it was fun. Yeah, and when you know a former six-time winner is in the pairing just ahead of you, you're, I guess, kind of wondering what Christina Spence Proto was doing as well. Well, exactly, and and like we were, we live uh, forty-five minutes apart on the island, so it's pretty cool that we were both uh, in in it. So it was exciting. Now it was a tough day for twenty twenty-one runner-up Noni Marler of Vancouver, who you heard on the show the past couple nights. Took a one-stroke lead in today's final round, but could not find enough of her game and struggling to an 8-over-80 to fall six places down into seventh spot. Now, on the flip side, it was a very satisfactory week for one-time Manitoba junior champ and ex-Winnipegger Tannis Walsh, now of Fargo, North Dakota, who had the chance to play in the second final pairing of the day, finished eighth overall at 12-over with rounds of 76, 75, and 70. Seven. Guess what? Kelly talked to her too. Congratulations, Tannis. I don't know what your expectations were after not having played competitive golf in a long, long time. And to come out here and do what you did, you must feel pretty good about yourself. Yeah, it was really fun. I um, I was in college through 2011 and kept playing competitive golf. My last round, I played in the U.S. Mid-Am in 2012 and made the cut to match play. And I went to Q school, but that was, I think, 2005. Um. And then after 2012, that was my last serious round. I got married, and I have a five and a six year old, and kind of did the mom thing. And I still my and then um, this year we knew it was here, 
and we joined the course for the first time this year. I'd been playing, but not really seriously. So, you know, I wanted to be in contention. I'm not going to lie. You don't come out here to play a tournament. I wanted to go low and um, I've been playing some good golf this summer. And so it was solid. I left some shots out there. I wish I could get back, yeah. but overall I'm, I'm pleased. I'm happy. It was I was so honored. I'd never met Christina or Noni and my dad was caddying for me like he used to do back in the good old days. And so, and just to see so many familiar people and yeah, it was really fun. Really fun. I guess with what you've accomplished with your pedigree, Tannis, uh, it's not too big a stage when you're playing with the six time former winner of this tournament and uh, the, the, the athlete who was leading through 36 holes. You look so comfortable and so at ease. Thank you. They were wonderful ladies. And I was excited. I was just excited. You know, I was, I, I was lucky my first two rounds, I had a local breezy, uh, breezy bend, Nicole, and I played with another woman from Calgary and they were wonderful. And so today I was excited to play with leaders. Like that's the competitive spirit. Like your I, name up on that, yeah, on that board. I, I wanted to go after it and I, I left some out there and I, there were some opportunities for sure that I could have taken advantage of, but um, they, they played great and they were just, it was so fun. It was so fun. Just to, to catch people up now, I had mentioned, and I guess it was a little bit of an error, I thought you were living in Grand Forks because you're a professor at the University of North Dakota. But let, let's straighten that out so that we get it accurate here, Tannis. Yes, and I used to live in Grand Forks, North Dakota, actually East Grand Forks, Minnesota. Yeah. I was hired as a professor there in 2012 in public, in public health, and I'm still at the University of North Dakota, but I live in Fargo, North Dakota now. But to be even more confusing, we live in we golf at Moorhead Country Club across the river in Minnesota. And my husband's a Minnesota boy, so we're kind of North Dakota, Minnesota. But we love it. We love Fargo. My parents come down. They're coming next week to babysit, and it's it's been really fun. I just became a U.S. citizen in December, and the kids are dual, so it's it's been wonderful. The states have been great. I love Canada. I was sad to see the American flag next to my name. I'm not gonna lie, that was a little strange. Um, but no, it's it's awesome. Man, I'll tell you what, with that uh, uh, kind of a setup, the FBI will never track you down. <laughs> right? I got my I got my citizenship. I'm good now. No. <laughs> Golf's in Minnesota, lives in Fargo, teaches in uh, uh, Grand Forks. Uh, just coming back to Winnipeg, though, and, and having an event like this in your former hometown, uh, there must have been a lot of pride attached with that as well. There was. I grew up playing at Rossmere. Riding my bike there, had the club storage with my brother and all the junior golfers from those days. Um, my dad was a, me- a corporate member at Pine Ridge. So I did all my junior golf at Pine Ridge. And Derek Ingram was my golf coach from when I was 16, 17. And now he's... Name dropper. I know. And so, like, I had no one touch my swing but my dad until I was 16. And then Derek Ingram was amazing. And then I went down to the University of Nebraska-Omaha and played golf in college. Got my master's and doctorate at Kansas State University and then ended up at the University of North Dakota. And it's just been... Being back in Winnipeg... And now that we're able to travel again and see friends and family, my aunts and uncles and my parents' friends were out here watching. So, no, it's been like I'm I'm a Winnipegger. I'm not an American. (laughs) Well, don't wait another decade to play competitive golf. eh? No, I think uh, looking at the schedule for next year already, I'd like to come back for the Canadian Mid-Am, try the U.S. Mid-Am again because I've played that a few times. And, yeah, do some state tournaments. I definitely I've, I've caught the bug again for sure. I can't wait, though, till my kids get a little bit older and I can caddy for them. Breezy Ben's Charmaine McKid had a strong closing round to also enjoy a top 10 finish tied for ninth, 14 over total of 230. So congrats to all the women out there. And big thanks to Kelly Moore for his coverage of the tournament this week. Went up to Breezy Bend every day, brought his back content for the CGOB Sports Show. Big appreciation to Kelly for that as he gets set for the NHL season. 
Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this school.